How are you, Lebeau? Lebeau? <laughs> oh, that was a... She's muted. I'm uh, muted. But she's an expert at podcasting, so don't I worry. <laughs> I was typing. All right. I was typing. We got a big one today. Got a big one. Got a big fish. We have a big fish. We have an exciting show for everybody. Tadell. Tadell. Tudell. That's a word, right? We have a big episode. Today, we are sitting... Ha- We have a big episode today. We are sitting down. Nope. <laughs> we got a huge, huge episode. Huge episode. Hello, and welcome to Talking Too Loud with Chris Savage. I'm your host, Chris Savage. As always, I'm joined by my producer extraordinaire, Sylvie LeBeau. Sylvie, we got a big one today. Got a big one. Got a big fish. We have a big fish. We have an exciting show for everybody. Today, we sat down with Sahil Lavingia, the founder and CEO of Gumroad, which is a web platform where creators can sell digital products directly to consumers. Prior to founding Gumroad, Sahil was early at Pinterest, very early. He also worked at Turntable FM. Sylvia, do you ever use that? Never used Turntable FM. What? I Are know. you serious? Did you? Oh my gosh. It was like so hot at Wistia for a while because like someone could play music that would be all synced up and they would be like... DJing through the day. We're like, this is so cool. But it was like, for us, like way before remote work and never really caught on. But who I really the did best, love it. Who was the best Wistia DJ? Um, I hate to say this, but Chris Levine. I knew. Yeah. I, you know, I, he made a, he made something like a 2020 video mashup. He does a and video I power was, hour every year. I of was all these music blown videos. away. Yeah. No, I mean, I don't, shout, I don't hate big to, shout yeah. out. Big yeah. shout out to CRL because yes. I, yeah, I only hate to say it. Cause it's like, again, CRL did the amazing thing. Look at him. Um, but the, no, seriously, he was a great DJ and, uh, the power hours, videopowers.com. Check it out. Um, but this episode is very special for another reason, which is the, f- the first time that we actually recorded the conversation live with an audience. And this time for the first time, we used a new app called clubhouse to do it. We sure did. And and Sahil is like all up in there already, right? He is there. Yes. I think the day we recorded, he said he was going to be on Clubhouse like at least three hours that day. Um, And for those who don't know, this is an app on your iPhone that you can just have quick conversations, casual conversations with folks. It's almost like a conference that never ends. And you can just like pick the sessions that you want to jump into. But Sahil was early on this. And he also, he does like his board meetings on some on there, he lets people into conversations inside their business. And it's uh, totally on character for him because he's all about running his business transparently. And so I think this is a very cool episode because like the conversation itself was transparent and open. There was no like major editing of it. We had a live audience. There was Q&A. So it was like the meta delivery on the whole thing. Like we're going to bring you in on how it works um, and use this new platform to, to help us give it a shot. Love when things get meta. Love when things get meta here. It's always good. Got to keep it meta. Right, Let's podcast go. producer? Yeah. <laughs> right. And now what kind of transition right, should CEO. we do? No. And now what kind of transition should we do during this show that we're I, recording? I got, I got what you were asking. You got it. I just didn't want to do it in that moment. <laughs> <laughs> but let's go now. So welcome, everyone. Very excited that you're here. I'm Chris Savage, co-founder and CEO of Wistia. And we are recording an episode of Talking Too Loud live 
for the first time here on Clubhouse. I am very, very excited to have Sahil from Gumroad here for many reasons, um, but also because he is a true Clubhouse expert. I think we're maybe an hour, hour three of him being on Clubhouse today. Um, I don't know what he's going to hit. Is he going to five hours, 10 hours? Hard, hard to know. Um, but huge fan of Sahil, really excited to be sitting down with him um, and talking about Gumroad and how he's built his business. Um, so we've got a, a really exciting episode here for you. And I'm joined as always by my podcast co-host and producer, Sylvie Lebeau. Sylvie, how are you? I'm good. I'm excited to be checking out the club. I'm still figuring it out. <laughs> is, that a, is that a terrible joke? No, that, I, I, you, you got a light, light laugh here. I got a um, light laugh. <laughs> yes. And so we're going to keep this casual. We're going to be here for about an hour, maybe a little bit more. And we're going to be doing Q&A at the end. So um, if you have questions and you want to ask them, you can raise your hand. And as we get there, we will, I believe this is how it works. You tell me, so I hope we'll bring them <laughs> up on stage with us and they'll ask their questions. Exactly right. Exactly right. Awesome. Well, look. Sahil, how are you? It's been it's been too long. I'm good. I'm good. I'm juggling a few things. Uh, Gumroad, uh, as always, and then I, I just wrapped up a course. I'm on a book deadline uh, for this Friday. Uh, oh no! So you MBD. know, yeah. Just spending as much time on Clubhouse as possible seems to be the right <laughs> just the procrastinating right decision for me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I want I want to start with a hard hitting question for you. <laughs> Who is the best stage magician you've seen in the last three years? Yeah, uh, David Copperfield. <laughs> also, maybe the only billionaire that I have seen perform magic tricks uh, for a live audience, uh, which uh, was incredible, incredible to witness. It, I don't know. It's just like this guy loves it, man. This is his thing, right? Like, what would you do if you have unlimited time and money? He would perform magic tricks. And so that, that was yes. an amazing experience. Yes. We went together to go see Copperfield, obviously. And one of the one of the things that sticks out to me from that from that show was like he was doing tricks that were very impressive. You know, there was like taking people from the audience and they'd appear on the stage and like all this stuff. There's a UFO that appears, but he has just done it so many times. He just he just seemed like he just didn't care at all. And so we were just like dying, dying, laughing the whole time. It feels like uh, like a kid dragged to like a soccer game by their parents or something, Like, <laughs> except he was the one doing it. And the other thing that I thought was fascinating about that show is is how tech savvy it was. Yeah. Like it was so integrated, like the, the wristband that you had was connected to this QR code. And it was like, it was built into the magic tricks themselves, which I thought was just far above and beyond like what I was expecting when, you know, when I was like, I'm going to see Copperfield disappear some cars or something, you know? Yeah, no, that was that was super super ridiculous. Um, well, look for for our listeners who don't know, what is Gumroad and where did the idea for Gumroad come from? Yeah, so so Gumroad is a is an online, uh, I guess, a tool platform uh, that allows creators to sell content, digital content, primarily directly to their audience. So I started it in 2011. I wanted to sell this pencil icon that I designed in Photoshop to my audience on Twitter and Dribble, and there was just no real easy way for me to do that. You know, this is 20, 2011, kind of pre Stripe. Uh, where you you basically would need to build up like a whole website and storefront and you know integrate like a PayPal button and all these things and I had an audience on the internet but I didn't even really have a website so it was just this weird like sort of the order of operations had kind of shifted in terms of like how people built an audience on the internet but the commerce was still kind of the same which is you built a store or you you know you or you put your stuff in a marketplace right like iTunes or something which just felt weird because it's like if you're the one bringing the audience like why are you giving thirty percent and, you know, or 70% with the iStock photo and other platforms. 
so that that's kind of the origin story and, and it's, it's evolved since you know but the crux is is the same which is like we just want to make it super easy for any creator getting started to to get selling awesome and then you went through a huge change at gumroad um, we also went through a huge change at wista a few years ago and you know we raised debt to buy back control of our company um, and you went through something similar and then suddenly, like I read this blog post that you wrote that just like resonated on a different level. Can you tell our listeners like, what do you think that was? And what path are you on since you you got full control of Gumroad? Yeah, so that post reflecting on my failure to build a billion dollar company, it definitely, definitely resonated. Um, and I'm not, honestly, I'm not sure why, like, I, I, like I, I've thought about it a lot since, um, but it seems like, you know, I didn't didn't do anything too crazy. I just wrote like I just wrote the thing that most people talk about. Like they have these conversations. Certainly, I had a lot of these conversations. You know, one on one, sort of privately, off the record, et cetera, with you know, with friends, family, uh, other. You know, everyone had their kind of own take on like what happened with Gumroad, sort of the telephone game. You know, like people would just kind of make up their own stories. It had died. I had sold it. You know, all these things. And so I just wanted to kind of correct the record and say, this is, you know, from my perspective, of course, there are many sides, but this is my sort of side of the story. And I think just the fact that I did that was notable to a lot of people. Like, I think very, very few people have actually kind of documented from basically the beginning of an idea to quote unquote, the, the end, uh, you know, eight years worth um, in, a, in, a, in a sort of a blog post, you know, format. Um, and it wasn't like, you know, initially the first draft I wrote was like 50 things that I learned from, you know, like that kind of thing. And then I realized as I was writing it, like, I, one, I don't, I'm not trying to convince anyone of anything. It was just like, look, this is my story. These are the decisions I made. This is kind of why I made them. Uh, and I just think a ton of people like related to it. Like, there's just like, there's so many people who are like, oh my gosh, like the way that you talk about how, you know, the market determines your growth more than maybe like how awesome your team is. Like, that's a hard lesson that you learn sometimes because you love your team, you think they're awesome. And you're like, why isn't this working when this other team? So there, there's a lot of that that I think it was just, it was cool because I didn't have to force the lessons, right? I didn't say lesson number one, market matters. Lesson number two, you can read a million of those things. It was just like, here's a story, you know, spend 10 minutes reading it. And the, the other thing I would add is just, it was very transparent, right? It wasn't just me relaying the story, but I like had numbers and charts and graphs uh, that just make it more real. It's like, oh, wow, this is like real, uh, real data. Like, you know, a, a founder who sees a chart where we go from spending $400,000 a month to, to being profitable. They know what oh, that yeah. what that in, looks like, right? It's not just oh, a number yeah. changing. That hurts. The the hard thing was writing that post, right? Like I put it all out there. It was kind of scary. And when it resonated, I was like, cool, I now have permission to keep doing this. Like I have plenty more of that, you know, and, and I'm developing more of that over time, right? The journey is not over. And what was hard about it? I mean, it's it's one of those things that maybe it sounds kind of stupid in hindsight, right? Because it's like a million people read it and everyone is like, great. And But in the moment, it's like, maybe you can look back and say, oh, Sahil did this wrong. Like if he did this differently or if even worse, arguably, like if his team, you know, did it differently, Gumroad actually would have worked. Like I, that was a big fear and concern for me is people would basically poke holes at my decision making. And and that did not happen. Uh, but it was definitely a fear of like, wow, people like I'm I'm really putting it out there for people to criticize and 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 stuff. That was that was a big one. But on the other hand, it's so freeing now that I've done those things. I'm like, I don't, I don't feel like I have to pretend uh, or at least not clarify that these certain these certain truths, right? I can just say what I believe and it seems to work, uh, which I think is very, very valuable and very freeing. 
Well, it's, I mean, it's interesting because I think on a, on a lot of levels there. First of all, like, you know, obviously that's probably the scariest post that you've written and then probably the most important. And then like, you know, a lot of what I, what I've seen in the, in your story and I feel like I've seen other stories is like, people are talking anyway, right? <laughs> like they just, they just talk about stuff and they're like, oh, this company sucks. Like I hate their new version of the product. Or they say this company, I love this company. This company is going to kill that company or whatever. And like, yes, there are some of us who spend more time on this than we do on sports. Let's be clear. But like, um, that like, <laughs> this is our sport. This is what, this is what we talk about. And I feel like what happened there is like, you were able to take control of your story and by telling the the truth and like the unvarnished Sahil, like what you went through, it was incredible because it was so easy to empathize and understand. Yeah. And so many founders go through this and they never tell their story. We don't hear it. And they don't get to share with anybody else about like how hard this stuff is or raising money on terms that they didn't necessarily understand when they first raised the money and like all that kind of stuff. So I think it was like, it's very cool to look at it and think like, obviously that, that for me is the moment when I also happened to meet you, I think right after that around mm -hmm. there. Yeah. Right. After um, that. When, when suddenly it was like, all right, you're just letting it all out there. You don't give a shit anymore. Like, it's just like <laughs> you, whatever you think you're saying now, that's what it's, it seemed like it unlocked you and like your ability to say those thoughts that you have on Twitter now on clubhouse every, everywhere you go. And the reality is like, we want, truth. We want unvarnished truth. And I also think that like, it's hard to live in a world that doesn't have any nuance. Um, and yet like more and more and more, a lot of like social media brings us to a place where there's like, there's no nuance. And like that story had nuance as a, as a baseline. Mm -hmm. Um, and then I, it's at least seem, to me, seems like a thread that's continued because now it seems like you're crushing it. You're innovating. You're trying all different sorts of things left and right. Like that felt scary. But now you, you do open board meetings. Like what is, <laughs> is that scary for you? Or is, it, or is that just like, of course I do. Yeah. Well, there's this great bit from that documentary Free Solo with uh, Alex Hanold, I think his name is. And Love it. Yeah. He, it's so good. It's so good. And uh, there's a camera following him around. So inherently every conversation becomes kind of a ad hoc interview, but they're getting his brain examined for like, why is he doing this? Like, what is, what yes, is this? Yes. What is Love the cause that. of this insanity? And he basically doesn't have like a fear react, you know, kind of a fear, whatever, uh, responder, like something that sort of controls that. Right. Um, he doesn't get afraid when he's on the wall. Like yeah. it, it doesn't, yeah. The innate thing of like, I might die doesn't occur to him. Yeah. And it like was interesting it, yeah. because the, the doctor was like, you don't have this. And his response was like, well, maybe I do have it. I've just beaten it out of submission, basically. Like I had a fear response and I basically like as I pushed it further and further, the that part was like, oh, never mind. I guess it doesn't like what's the point? Like, I'll just take the day off, right? Like, well, this it clearly it's not working with this idiot. Uh and I think it's obviously very different climbing a wall uh <laughs> without any any safety gear than you know, building a company or whatever. But it does remind me of of that, right? Which is like once you once you do it, once you really like jump off the bungee platform, and you're like, that's the hard decision. That's the the difficulty. And at that point, you're just you're kind of just along for the ride. And when I hit publish on that on that blog post, I I sort of explicitly I titled it "Reflecting on." Like it was kind of I wanted to put everything in there so that I was basically done. Like I I had closed that chapter. Uh, ironically, because it kind of opened up the, the floodgates yeah. of, of a whole other thing. But yeah, I really, I really put it all out there in that post. I I talked about the financials of the company, 
uh, all the, you know, obviously like the failure, the, 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 how we, you know, bought back our investors, all sorts of stuff, uh, the layoffs, et cetera. And also just the, the response, right? Like maybe if the response was lackluster, I wouldn't have had the confidence to keep doing it, frankly, right? That does help. But yeah, when, when I started doing it or when there was that response, I was like, oh, wow, this is, I, I have plenty of this content, right? Like I, first of all, I have all the words that didn't make the essay that I can tweet out. I'll start there. And when that started gaining traction, I was like, what, I, I literally just was like, what else can I share? What else can I open up? But yeah, the open board meetings, they're not scary anymore. I, the the open financials on Twitter too. Like I don't even think about them when I tweet. You know, I just it's just like a oh it's part it's this day I have to like run the SQL query and then tweet out the the revenue numbers because like the you know the first month is really scary the second month is kind of scary and then you don't even think about it the third month on right so really like it's it's less about like I feel like overcoming the fear and being like how do I just get rid of it like how do I just get the fear response to stop firing and 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 the answer is like you just you just like bludgeon it into submission. Like you just do it enough, <laughs> uh, frequently enough. Uh, you spend enough time on Clubhouse or Twitter, or any of these platforms, you get enough haters, you get enough, you know, of that kind of feedback. Uh, and it hurts. It's not easy, but eventually you realize, you know, like, it's either worth it or these people don't matter or, you know, it's just part of the thing or, you know, all these sorts of things. So, yeah. It's, yeah. I mean, it's also interesting because you said something that's been a theme on the show, which is talking about like the link between someone's, like personal emotional state and the success or failure of their business and like trying to, I think a lot about trying to run Wistia in a way that is actively fulfilling for me. And if it's not like, it's not going to work. And if it is, I can do it for a long time. And that's part of the secret. How do you think about that? Cause I I know, I know you think about this, but how how do you think about like aligning your emotional state to, to your work? Yeah, I mean, the, one of the big changes I made, and I didn't notice this actually, and someone else pointed it out to me, is just I have a much longer time horizon. And not just for my life, even for Gumroad, you know, like even as I just think about building the company, I just think about it like, you know, what can I accomplish in the next 10 years? You know, I'm almost 10 years into it. And so that just is is transformational because, you know, you're no longer like quarter by quarter, like how do we grow this thing the fastest? Even though like, look, like maybe the goal is still to, to build a huge business. Who knows? Like, I don't know where this goes, but like I can take my time. Like I'm not in a rush. You know, I want to make this a thing that is satisfying and fulfilling and fun to work on for 10 years. And that's a very different kind of company to something that's fun for two years before I want to jump to the next thing. Like that, I would have built a very different kind of company. But that's a big one. It's just like, look, I think most people run out of energy before they run out of money. The thing that I always remind myself of is I'm so glad I didn't sell Gumroad. Like, I'm so glad I didn't shut it down. It was totally the right thing. Like, I made the right decision 10 years later with hindsight to keep going. But like, I always remind myself of that because as I as I make decisions today, when there are a lot of compelling things, you know, on the table, Gumroad's doubled in the last year. A lot of VCs send me emails like, hey, maybe I should take another, you know, I always kind of try to remind myself that like, you know, the path that I took was very counterintuitive at the time, but it worked out. And so, you know, I should keep doing, keep doing, and th- and that's hard. I mean, even like we're, we're about to raise money for government in this new different way. And so there are, you know, the stakes are going up a little bit. And I think the the answer is just is clarity, right? Just like being clear with your and setting expectations, yeah, right? Like you can do whatever you want. I, like I'm not yeah. prescribing the right path for you, but when you build relationships, when you either it's with an employer, or with an investor, with customers, certainly with your customers, like you should just be clear, right? Like this is what we're about. This is how we think about things. This is why maybe we think about those things. 
you know, make it as consensual as possible, right? Um, that's kind of the way that I that that I think about it. And even with our our new Naval's leading the, the round that we'll announce in, in in a couple of weeks, but you know, it was like this is the way I run Gumroad, like no meetings, no deadlines, no full time employees, even like just know you know know what you're getting yourself into. And that's what that's a big lesson those posts taught me when I wrote that failure post. And even before that, when I wrote about moving to Provo, that was another scary one because I had to kind of admit to everybody that I left San Francisco. That's like a very big deal. That's kind of like saying like, you know, being an actor in Hollywood and being like, I'm I'm no longer, I'm leaving Hollywood. It's like you're admitting failure, you know, regards uh, failure of a specific, you know, a specific goal and ambition. But when my investors were like, cool, have fun. You, you know, you worked really hard, you know, like take a break, come back. We'll see what happens. That started giving me that confidence of like, okay, as long as I'm clear, as long as I'm upfront with everybody about what I'm up to and why, and I give everyone like a long heads up if they ever say, oh, this way you're going about things is actually not what I signed up for. Like, you know, as long as you do that, like, I think you you might be surprised at like how much leeway you get to just pursue your own, your own goals, your own desires. Yeah, yeah. You, you just dropped like 10 major like lessons in there, but uh, I, I'm going <laughs> to, I'm going to pull, I'm going to pull out a couple of them. We'll go, no, but it's like, and go in reverse order, but like. I think this setting expectations thing that you're just talking about, we're just telling somebody like, yeah, you can invest, but like, this is how I run this. And I want you to know what this is. I think that is true with investors. I think that's true with employees. Like, this is how this company works. This is what you're signing up for. And there's, here's the good and here's the bad. And because there is always a trade-off, right? And the more that we can explain those things and set people up in that way, I think like the more successful the partnership can be. I also think when you're talking before about, it's so easy to think, that if I just work on this hard problem for a year, I do a year sprint or a two-year sprint, I you know I can't sustain my work effort the way the way I'm doing right now for more than that. But it's, yeah, we've got to find success in two years, and I just think it's really interesting to think about actually just like add an additional five to ten years onto that and see if you can sustain the effort. That's basically what you're saying is like, if you can't sustain the effort, you none of us can know what's going to happen. We don't know how the markets are going to move. We don't know what's going to shift and what the next technological thing is going to be. So if you set yourself up to actually do it in the long term, you dramatically increase your chances, I think, of success and also not burning yourself out to the point where you kill the company, right? Like it's there's, there was a lot in there. So just want to call that out. Mm-hmm. You just dropped many bombs. Mm-hmm. Um Tell me more about, so you're, you're raising money. Why are you raising money and how are you doing it in a way that is different? Like what, what have you learned? What, what can we learn from your learning? One, one thing I learned is that there, there's sort of two schools of thought. I mean, a lot of things devolve into this, especially when you have the sort of the simplification that might happen on, on social media um, and these sort of bubbles that form, but there's venture capital. That's sort of one big category of, of, financing, right? Which is you rate, you sell part of your company from, to, to VCs and then you kind of hope for a hundred X outcome that pays for all the losers, right? That whole thing that people are very familiar with. And then there's like bootstrapping, self-funded, that sort of category, uh, which is you just, you know, you just build a business uh, yourself and then you, you, you profit share with, you know, with, with the, with the employees and with the, with your co-founders, et cetera. But I actually think there's like one big one that like, I think very few businesses currently raise venture capital. I think maybe more more should raise capital. That doesn't mean that you should necessarily aim for a 100x outcome, right? But I do think maybe raising capital would be a good idea, uh, right? And like you might have an audience, you might have a set of customers, you might have a community, local or global, that is willing to, to support you and help you out. So that's kind of the thing that I'm interested in, right? It was like one of the lines when I wrote that, that failure post was I had to pick 
I basically had to pick our creators over our investors, but not only over our investors, but over our employees, right? Like I had, there were three constituencies that I had to kind of prioritize. uh, And I picked our creators over our employees and over our investors. And I'm just trying to think about like, how can I clean this up? Like, how can I make less hard decisions, frankly, right? And like one thing we started doing is hiring a lot of our creators and bringing them in house and saying, hey, you know, Gumroad worked for you. Like, you know, do you want to work on it and make it work better for others? And that's been like a phenomenal experiment for us. And we'll definitely keep doing that. And that simplifies things, right? Because all of a sudden, obviously not perfect, not complete overlap. Mm-hmm. And now we have like creators who represent our creators, our customers, but also our some of our, our employees as well. Uh, and I, I use employees kind of loosely. Uh, and then... So, you know, like next step, right? Like what's left? Investors, right? So I don't know. I'm just kind of exploring that this idea. Like what if what if there was one group of people owning the business, running the business, working on the product, uh, using the product? I, I think it's just interesting. Like, I, I don't know, is this the, the future? Is this the default? Is this the, you know, whatever? Like maybe, certainly possible. But I think, yeah, I'm just excited about playing with the definitions of some of these words. And and I'm also just generally interested in, in democratization, in owning equity in a business. These are all things that I do and believe in. And I just think those opportunities are just not available to most people, right? There's the, kind of the joke that people say you can buy a lottery ticket, but you can't invest in a startup. You have to be worth a certain amount, which is kind of insane. Yeah. Uh, and of course, like there are reasons you can't invest in startups. I'm not saying that like everyone should be able to do that immediately. There's going to be a lot of scams and blah, blah, blah. And there already kind of are, but I do think not enough people currently do it, right? Like I, I do think far more should than do because it is a great way to earn a living or build wealth over time. Uh, and so, you know, I'm kind of just putting my company where my mouth is, right? If I believe this is a thing, I clearly do it with, I started Gumroad and own a good chunk of it. I also invest in startups. You know, obviously you should make your own decision if this is a good decision for you or not. But why not? Like, why why can't you? Why can't the, the average person invest in government? And I, I'm also like, you know, to, to address the question that often comes up, which is like, why don't more people do this already or whatever? Mm-hmm. One, it's not really possible. March 15th, the day we do it, is going to be the first day you can raise up to $5 million via regulation crowdfunding. So it's literally like not even possible right now. But two, it just, it, I think it just requires a case study. Like it requires someone doing it and not just doing it. Like there are quite, yeah, there have been companies that have done it. Zenefits has done a crowdfunding round. Robinhood did one too. But uh to really talk about it, to do it, and then to like become an ambassador for it is very different. And I just think I'm like well-placed for it, right? Like I'm just strategically well-placed with, because I'm a VC, because I'm a founder, because I'm in the creator economy, because I've been so open about the journey so far, it's, it's kind of like, why not? And you're and you're searching for a, like true alignment is what it sounds like. Yeah, like alignment across, with creators in every way, which, you know, it's like, there's a thing, obviously when companies go public, where suddenly people start buying the stock and then they start paying attention start and they start to care. And, you know, you get the classic, you announce you're going to do something and the value of the company goes up and people get excited or the value of the company goes down when you announce you're going to do something. And it's a way of voting about what the company is, is going to work on, right? So like full, I can see the appeal of full alignment. And it's also classic Classic you, I think, to be trying to be literally the first person to do this um, <laughs> on the day that is legally possible. So I'm excited to see what happens there. You also, you've taken risks all over the place. You've, you've gotten comfortable with potential failure, I'll say. You've gotten comfortable sharing your open books. And you also are running the business in a, in a way I think a lot of us can learn. Tell us more about part-time work, how you got there, and how that's going. Yeah, so in in you know in 2015 we did the 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 round of layoffs, the sort of notorious round of layoffs. We went from 20 people down to five, and then basically from five down to me. And so when I started rebuilding Gumroad, 
it was kind of a 180, right? I'd sort of spent 60 hours a week plus sort of solely focused on this one thing. So it was kind of the opposite. Like, how can I spend zero hours a week, not focused on it at all? And so I started writing and painting and doing all these things in my, in my free time. And, and I didn't want meetings. I didn't want any of the trappings that come with running a company. And so when I started hiring people, it was just, that's kind of, you know, that was like the, the thing that was the number one priority is like, Hey, can you work on this thing? But you know, really you're coming in, fixing bugs, doing stuff, talking to me on notion. Like we're not doing meetings. We're not doing any of this stuff. Right. And really like I was still burnt out. Right. So that's how it started. And then it literally was like, we never stopped doing it. That worked when we were three, four or five contractors. And you know, it was kind of from first principles. I didn't see why it could not continue to work. So we just continued to do it. And we just wrote more documentation and set up more processes. And we just kept pushing on that. And it just didn't break completely, right? Like, of course, we've had to make changes and we will continue to. And we're 26 people now. Our goal is to be maybe like 35 by the end of the year or something like that. So we'll see. We'll see how far we can push it. But like, it was really, it was really about, uh, I call it kind of freedom at all costs instead of growth at all costs or, you know, low stress at all costs, right? Like how can I build a culture that get lets people do the work that they want to do, right? They want to write stuff. They want to create stuff. They want to build stuff for our creators. They want to design stuff, et cetera, without all of the other stuff that they may have to have traditionally needed to do, like sit in a meeting or, or all of these things. And the way the, I think the secret sauce, there's two kind of things that you need to do to enable this kind of culture. One is you just need a heavy reliance on transparency, right? Because if you don't have meetings, this information has to get syndicated anyway, right? The thing that meetings do still has to happen. You just have to have it happen without a meeting, right? So, so that was the big thing was like, okay, we need to write everything down. We need to document aggressively. Everything's super transparent and open. That was a lot easier for Gumroad because I was tweeting stuff that like sometimes you don't even share with your team, right? So that was not super difficult. But I think the harder, the harder thing is to enforce the asynchronicity of it to really what I call a, a push model, not a pull model right? Where basically in a traditional company, like you have a lot of pulling, right? Like, Hey, I need this from you. Or how's this coming? Or, you know, these kind of status updates, which are very efficient. If you think about like a web server, right? Like imagine like every 10 seconds being, are there any new tweets? Are there any new tweets? Are there, it's a very, you know, inefficient process, but over time to scale, you switch to a, a push model, which is like, anytime there's a new tweet, Twitter says, Hey, there's a new tweet, go get it right here. It is. And that means you're only getting notified every time there's a new tweet, right? That's kind of like the software engineering equivalent the human culture equivalent is is the same, right? Which is like, as there are updates, you just have to build that culture of like, you're you're out doing the work. You know, you need people to, to give you feedback or to help you out. It's your job to, to push people and to say, hey, I need this now. And that way, everybody else in the company, if they're not getting, you're never feeling like, what am I missing? What, what do I need? Am, do I, am I needed somewhere? Like, is something breaking that I don't know? Am I blocking something? They're, these are all concerns and fears that people have when they work at companies generally. Um, and certainly CEOs have this, right? Like in maybe 10x that sometimes, but it just creates a very different kind of work where the focus is on like uh, on the individual contributor and like on uh, not on managing, not on meetings, but on actually just like shipping the work. And that's my secret sauce, right? It's like, you know, do it, do it well, write about it, share it. So yeah, that's kind of, that's kind of, uh, how we, how we work at Gumroad. And have you seen, oh, oh, go ahead, uh go ahead, Salvi, go ahead. It's your turn. It's your turn. (laughs) This is a real authentic TTL moment. Um, <laughs> we're just going to lean into it hard. I was just going to ask, like, is, have you noticed any downsides to the secret sauce that you're describing or has it all been like pretty positive? I mean, it's it's hard to know what the downsides are, but I, I think, you know, one one downside is, you know, maybe is like, I don't want, it's, it's sometimes easy to focus too much on it, right? Like instead of like, 
just reminding myself, like the fundamentals are what's important. Like I'm still trying to build a business. Like it's not just for show, right? It's not just performance art. Like I'm not just, I'm not like, I'm not just doing the crowdfunding so I can like have a viral blog post about it or something. Right. Or like, uh, so I just have to moderate myself a little bit on that. Like, am I getting too clever or too, you know, too, too this or that with it? Um, in improv, there's this great quote, serve the story. Every actor, the goal is, to, you know, not to be awesome yourself, but to serve the story, right? And so I just kind of try to remind myself of that as like creators first, you know, how can I serve their, their story? Uh, and then I also just, everything I produce is feedbacked by a lot of people, right? So like every time I write a blog post, I'll send it to the team. Certainly I'll send it to, to the Gummer team you know, kind of mirroring that push thing I was talking about before. But then I'd also like ping my my own, you know, Twitter following and stuff saying, hey, does anyone want to get feedback? And very frequently this happens where they're like, wow, you're like selling this way too hard or like you're way too excited. You know, like you're you're saying this is going to like show don't tell kind of thing, right? Like, so yeah, I still struggle, struggle a little bit with that. Like I'm, I'm I, I this, my number one fear, I'll tell you, my number one fear is, is lo- losing my self-awareness. Like, I think I have that pretty well. Um, and I certainly like had it, but I am scared of it, of losing it, of like, as my audience grows and as I get more, I don't know, cocky or confident or whatever else that like, I lose, th- I lose that self-awareness, right? Like, so that's the thing that, you know, ke- kind of keeps me up at night, quote unquote, is like, am I still, you know, being honest with where I am? And and it's easy as you get more successful to lose that, I think. Do you have um, do you have a set of advisors or people? I mean, you obviously have your team and you and you push stuff out publicly, but do you have like specific people you go to to help you like kind of keep that balance? Honestly, no, I don't have a specific. I've always struggled, honestly, with the concept of like mentors or mentorship, uh, just because I think I, the way that I work generally is everything. Everything is like case by case, right? So if I'm working on uh, thinking through fundraising stuff. Like I, you know, the people I ping are different than the people if I'm thinking about, uh, you know, I don't know, putting together the creator school on clubhouse. Like there's just different people that I I need to get feedback from for everything. So yeah, I don't have anyone that I'm like, Oh, every single time I have a problem, I have to ping this person. And honestly, often it's just top of mind people, right? Like one of the, one of the nice things about running a company is I know that I can, I can be, I'm never going to get fired for oversharing. Right. So I'm, I can always like just bring this stuff up in whatever the conversations happen to be. Cause you never know uh, who is going to add value and who's going to be able to contribute good ideas. I think being so open and having a lot of these conversations, it kind of maybe like mitigates the need for mentors or this kind of framework or advisors, because you're constantly getting it. Like you're constantly getting feedback from all sorts of different people and, and, and this is actually, I think, one of the really useful things about running Gumroad. I have, I have sort of three projects. Uh, I, have, I have Gumroad, I have my venture fund, and I have this book that I'm, I'm working on that comes out later this year. And of course, that kind of is in that universe. And, uh, and so it's kind of nice because at least on every single thing I do, I have two other parts of my life and people in those parts that can help me, right? The, the problem I find is like, sometimes people just go to the experts, right? And you just go to, oh, I'm fundraising, so I need to talk to VC. But like, you're getting the, you don't need to do that. Like they've totally, they've written about it. Like they've, they've yeah. and they're not only have they written about it, but they almost have too much skin in the game, right? Like they're, they're, they're going to kind of tell you a thing that's a little too self-serving, just yeah. inherently going to happen. But I guess to answer your question, it's really just kind of top of mind who, who happens to be uh, next to me, you know, when I have a thought is the person that I generally ask. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's funny because we have like similar and different approaches on this one. That's why I asked the question. Like 
my experience, I now, I try to think of like the groups that I can go to that have a different stake in me or a different stake in Wistia or no stake. So it's like, there's obviously like people at Wistia who advise on things all the time. And then there's like people who are on our board who know Wistia really well, but don't know the operational complexity. So when I say why we're not doing something, they don't care that it's hard or it requires people change or that it's like irrelevant. And then I have a group of peers you know, who I, who I think to go to, who care about me, they don't really care about Wistia. And like the goal is I've tried to set up like the feedback mechanism. So that there's, there's people who have all the different perspectives. Cause to your point, I've seen the exact same thing, which is like, you know, the VC is going to inherently probably want you to go towards VC because that's their mindset, um, which makes sense. It's like how we all are. Right. So it's like trying to balance all of that. So it's, it's always interesting to hear p- how people put that together. Um, so Sal, as you know, th- this show is called Talking Too Loud with Chris Savage. Um, the reason it's called that is because I scream when I get excited. <laughs> um, I cannot help myself. Um, and the show is about talking to folks who are doing like awesome, creative, interesting things, entrepreneurial things, and trying to dig into what gets them excited. So we've talked about a lot of different things, but I have to ask you the quintessential question of the show, which is what is getting you talking too loud these days? I mean, honestly, this this crowdfunding stuff, I think is insane like i just get so amped about it uh and and it's because it it basically combines all of my interests in one thing like it takes gumroad which is one of the three pillars it takes my venture fund and all the stuff i do around investing and it takes like the minimalist entrepreneur like it kind of like is just the perfect uh the perfect thing. A clubhouse is something I'm also like obsessed with. I, I I also think about like, well, what if those things get combined, right? Like what crowdfunding live on clubhouse, like what does the f- fundraising and working and networking look like in a world where we've kind of been isolated for a year, over a year and we come back um, and we learn all these amazing things about, oh wait, maybe this is a better way to do it. We don't actually have to fly halfway around the world to raise money. Like that's ridiculous. Like that's not, that's probably not going to come back. Right. Uh, and so we we understand some of the first order effects, like oh yeah, like startups will raise money directly from the customers more than they currently do, right? Or like people will do, you know, go direct to consumer when they have press releases and other things instead of maybe going to the New York Times because of Clubhouse or whatever. Like that's kind of obvious. Like I don't, I think that's kind of base case. But like what I'm interested in is just like what happens next. So I, I get really, really, really excited, uh, sort of talking about a lot of those sorts of things, and then and weirdly the creator economy <laughs> like i was kind of honestly like the the anti-creator economy person but now I, I don't know i'm like really interested in this like in this idea that everyone is able to build an audience and connect directly but yeah that's that's some of the stuff that gets me talking too loud <laughs> awesome well look um we are going to stay on the topic of building audiences but transition to the questions we have in the audience how was that, Sylvie? Was that a good love, podcast transition? I love transition? what you did there. I love what okay, you did Okay, thank there. you. Thank you. <laughs> so um, if you have questions, you can raise your hand. Um, we're going to try to bumble through this, get you up on stage. <laughs> and we're going to start with Zeb Anderson. Here we go. Hi, everybody. Uh, thanks for uh, thanks for the amazing chat today. Uh, can you hear me okay? Yeah. Yeah, sound you sound great. Awesome. I actually have kind of a two-part question. Um First, um, have a startup uh, called LegalQ. We are we launched two weeks ago. Um, we're on Product Hunt today. All the two hours of sleep that that entails is always a fun, fun journey. Congratulations, that's amazing. Thanks, Chris. Appreciate that. My my question is, 
with the with the new changes to kind of the regulatory structure on on crowdfunding, how do you think that you know traditional VCs kind of perceive that as as is it kind of mainstream enough where it's not necessarily a, I don't know a last ditch effort or a sign of weakness or anything like that? Yeah, that's a good question. I mean, you know, we the, the industry kind of terms this like signaling risk, right? Like, what are all the things that you can do? That when you end up talking to institutional VCs, uh, they may have a reason to say no. This, this, by the way, is the same thing that happened with SPACs. SPACs were also kind of this thing that were like relatively weird and like a lot of like, why are these companies doing it? They're maybe not the best of the bunch. How do you, you know, are these scams? How do you price these things, right? All of the, how do you drive awareness for them, et cetera? And the solution is the same, which is, I think Tomat figured it out. It's like, you just put real skin in the game, you tie your brand to it, you have your own distribution, and then you're able to kind of like redefine this case, which is what I'm trying to do with the Gumroad thing is to say, hey, look, I can raise money from top tier VCs. Like, I'm pretty sure I can do that. Uh, I know enough of them. Uh, and I'm purposefully not doing it. I'm doing it this way. And I think to your to your question around like, you know, how do traditional VCs look at this? Um, right now, they're not really concerned, to be honest. Like, they don't think this is going to do anything uh, generally. Like, uh but I, you know, I would push back a little bit. I would say, you know, once once startups have a direct way of raising up to five million bucks from their customers, creators, anybody, anyone that wants to invest, especially if there is like a retail investor movement to do this, uh, like if deep effing value says, hey, I want to, you know, like the next <laughs> the next stock I'm picking is actually a private tech company, right? Like who knows? Very future is very unpredictable. Uh, so uh, I, I'm hopeful that you know that people will be surprised at how how much of a how much of a switch it is. It was like, oh, wow, like these subtle changes really, you know, upping the limit from 1.07 to to five and then also allowing, uh, testing the waters, which allows basically founders to vet interest before they actually commit to raising the crowdfunding round and doing the audited financial stuff that you have to do, et cetera. And what I tell people is like, crowdfunding was not at product market fit for me personally. I, I looked at crowdfunding for Gumroad a year ago and I said, no, it's not worth it for us for those two reasons, not enough money, cost of capital is too high, hard to test demand, blah, blah, blah. Now it has product market fit for me. As of March 15th, it will have product market fit for me. So like the question is like, does it also have product market fit for thousands of other founders where it didn't before? Will it, It maybe not yet, but maybe with the playbook that I create, it will. Like, I, I don't know where, you know, w- what causes the dam to break. But my general feeling is there's so much demand for normal retail investors to invest in early stage tech companies. People have seen that it can work. Uh, that I just think it, eventually it's going to happen, right? Like eventually it will be a thing, and and founders will embrace it because, frankly, more demand, better prices, right? If you if you're more competition for the stock, stock price is going to go up, which is why many companies go public, right? Um, so so I'm hopeful that that will start a self fulfilling prophecy where the, the startups that get crowdfunded do well because people want them to do well, so that more people do it, and and sort of there's like a gold rush there that yeah, it'll, that kind of it'll happens. take off. It'll it'll continue and evolve. I feel like it's the same thing that happened with SPACs, right? To your point, it's like it's like if everyone realizes that you can get to get become public faster, um, in a more predictable way, then it will be embraced. And I think to your point, I mean, it's a great question, Zeb, and like I think everyone should pay close attention to what happens with um with you. So and I know you're going to tell us. So that's yeah, helpful. I will. I will. We're going to learn about what's actually working. <laughs> we'll know if it works or not. Yeah. Okay. We're inviting up as the last question, Sam. Here we go. Hey guys, thank you very much. Uh, um, again, a long time listener, first time participant here, and this is super exciting. Um, I think I've got a question. I'm, I'm in the process actually of uh, I'm establishing a startup. Um, I'm off uh, connecting with you by the way uh, from Toronto, Canada. And uh, 
the business ecosystem and the environment we are in is, you know, kind of being more interesting with the pandemic and everything. And I would be just curious to hear, you know, from Sahil and everyone here, how do you see um, crowdfunding is changing, you know, with this craziness happening in the world? And if you were to give me a piece of an advice, what would that be to help me um, with, with my crowdfunding and with my startup? Yeah. No, good question. I mean, I, th I think it definitely certainly a very interesting time. Uh, I mean, I, I would say, you know, ultimately, and, and there are a lot of people who reach out to me, you know, founders who are like, hey, I want to, this thing looks cool. Like, I, I want to do it too. I want to also crowdfund. Like, what do I need? Right. And I'm always like, look, you need a product and a, and customers and traction. Uh, you know, Gumroad is not a startup, right? Like, it's not an early stage seed funded or pre-seed startup. We have real data and real numbers and revenue and traction. And that's going to make it a lot easier because, you know, generally people outside of the startup community, like, don't understand some of that stuff. So it's like, it, it's nice to have things that, you know, revenue, year over year growth, like these things. So ultimately traction is is key, I think. Like if you want to, if you want to find success. Uh, and so, yeah, I think that's a big one. And I would say the other thing is like, just be really transparent and open, like just, you know, share, like people want to, people want to participate in a, in a, in a story, right? Like people want to feel like they're joining a movement, they're helping something happen that, that wouldn't have happened without them. So I think if you just say, hey, we're this amazing startup, we're raising all this money, this is what we're going to do with it. That might work better on, on VCs. They're doing this professionally. This is like the, their number one goal is to, to, you know, to try to maximize the return. But individuals are going to be less in, interested in that and more interested in like, who can I root for, right? Which company can I support? Uh, which logo can I put on my backpack, right? Those are kind of the questions that retail investors will be asking more frequently. So I think just understanding, you know, understanding that and and being comfortable sharing that stuff. And you will have to, by the way. I mean, you can't crowdfund without releasing your financials. That's part of the deal. <laughs> so it forces a level of that. <laughs> <laughs> so even just deciding to do it, I think, is a big a big step. And then just make sure you have customers, you have community, you have people who are going to back you, right? Every Kickstarter project, everything like this, like it it's easy to get caught up in the virality of it but really you know this stuff is is a snowball that you know gets started very very small and typically means you <laughs> knocking on a lot of doors right uh, and asking your friends and family to support you and uh and your community and your customers and all these sorts of things like you know before it gets to the point where it's a real snowball and people want to jump on the bandwagon you know you you're, you're going to have to put in a lot of your own elbow grease right so don't don't think oh it's just like this thing's going to make it so much easier to raise capital. And it's not, it's not going to, it's actually probably harder. I would say it's harder to crowdfund than to raise money from VCs. Uh, it's just different. It's a different kind of, a different kind of capital. And like, I can, you know, I have a list of companies I'm building now, like founders and companies I want to go convince that they should do this crowdfunding thing. And my goal is not even to convince them, frankly. Like I think time spent convincing is time spent, is time wasted generally. The goal is to find the people who actually would already be convinced. They just don't know. I, I just have to kind of, educate them be like oh by the way did you know that this thing exists now and they're like oh this is amazing i would totally do this you know uh so so yeah that's kind of how, how i think about it awesome well look that what a way to end just find the people who would already be convinced and bring them in and help them you know whether it's crowdfunding or using your product or following you on twitter or reading your book or whatever i think finding those true believers in the audience who are out there and bring them in to be a part of your story is the way to go sahil Thank you for being here. 
Um, thank you for having me. I do, you know, this clubhouse <laughs> thing is wild. I've learned so much from you. It's been really fun. Um, for those of you who listened today, talking too loud is a podcast. If you missed part of this episode and you came in late, it will be this episode will be released in a few weeks, wherever you listen to podcasts. If you search wherever you listen to podcasts, Apple podcasts, overcast, whatever it is, you search for talking too loud, you'll find other conversations like this. Um, if you have feedback for us, we want it. We want your feedback. You can email directly at ttlpod at wistia.com. You can hit me up on Twitter. Obviously, I think everyone knows where you are on Twitter, Sahil. <laughs> so thanks for being here today. Thanks so much. It was awesome. So... That was cool and uh, like not as stressful as I thought it was going to be. I feel like we did the same prep that we normally do for the show. We had some good questions. We had some topics. And then it was just it was so easy to talk with with him throughout that whole thing. Yeah. I mean, he's a clubhouse pro. Clearly, I'm still learning. I had some uh, some Wi-Fi issues at the end of that recording. You so sure did. <laughs> cut out for a moment. But you two were uh, smiling and uh, carrying on. So as a producer, you know. I thank you. I thank you for just showing up and and giving it just your smiling, all. Just smiling, just doing yeah, it. Yeah, the Q and A yes. was awesome. I, I the I got the audio back for the Q and A. That was amazing. Yes, the Q and A was very cool. It was it was it was very much like it felt to me like we were having a conversation in a, a live auditorium, and there was the yes. line of people at the microphone, and 100%. they're like nervous and excited um, to get up there and ask their question, and so thankful, and it was just. The fact that we just booked this through an app, it was right. so easy to put together. It's really shocking. Um, well, and to that point, he was, Sahil was very like, I think it was towards the end, just talking about sort of like the future of work and like what that's going to look like and how Clubhouse and all these other apps are just going to change, change the game, change the way we communicate. So that was, that was a nice little nugget to chew on. It was, it was cool. Well, Sylvie, that was it. That was Clubhouse. That was pretty fun. It was great. Do you think we should try it again? Let's give it a rest for a minute. No, yeah, we definitely should. We will. <laughs> we should. We will. I'm going to call Optimum, get some some better yeah, Wi-Fi. You need, to, you need to get this internet under control. This yeah. is this is quite something. Um, well, anyway, what a great time. What a great day. What a great episode. So we hope you enjoyed it. Please don't forget to rate and review us wherever you listen to podcasts. We want your feedback. Email us at ttlpod at wistia.com. And if you send in a voice note, you know, it might, it might make it on the show. Just want you to put, put that out there. Um, and we hope you have a great day, everyone. Take care. Talking Too Loud is brought to you by Wistia. Hosted by Chris Savage. Produced by me, Sylvie Lubau, along with Adam Day. Executive produced by Wistia Studios. This episode was mixed by Jarrett Floyd. Listen to Talking Too Loud wherever you listen to podcasts. And hey, rate and review us wherever you listen. And check out more content from Wistia Studios at wistia.com.